want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Today, it's all about the seven surprises, a list of the things that a new CEO will have to get their head around pretty quickly, or they'll be whacked by them pretty hard. As always, I'm joined by CEO, CEO mentor, and author of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond, Philip Levinson. G'day, Michael. So, so far we've talked about why people want to be a CEO and all the preparation that goes into actually getting that job. But now- Picture that you've got your, your feet under the desk at last. It's been a very long process to actually get there. You've done all your research, which, as we've discussed, is never going to be enough. You think you're ready for the first day, and then you get whacked by the seven surprises. That's now, right. This is a list, actually, that comes from originally a Harvard Business Review article in 2004. They feature prominently in your book. It's a ripper of a list. Look, it's a great one. And um, my favorite quote is from a CEO executive search firm. It's unfathomable to me why people would want to do this job. And when I dug into that more, I was told this is a very tough job. Divorce rates go up, alcoholism, um, substance abuse, uh, mental health issues, mortality, and yet people still do the job. And one of the purposes of writing the book is to assist in the, in the, in the journey. But the things that I really wish I'd known before I'd gone into the job were some of these seven surprises. And if I may, I'm going to take you through each one of them and we can talk about them in, in greater detail. Please do, because some of them to me seem entirely counterintuitive. And I suppose this is why they are the surprises. These are the assumptions that you would make when you're on the outside that when you get in there, uh, prove to be something entirely different. Number one on the list does seem counterintuitive. You can't run the company. Yes. Right. You can't run the company because running the company is but a small part of the role. You are the public face of the company. You are the internal uh, setter of direction. You are the arbiter of the culture. Uh, you have many different and competing demands on your time. So actually running the company is a collective job as opposed to the CEO's job, which is why it sounds so counterintuitive. So I suppose that probably gets into, in a very broad sense, um, the idea of kind of micromanaging that you can't possibly do everything yourself. You need to have a great degree of trust in those around you to basically run the company and you are there to provide the direction, provide the strategy and the leadership, but you're not going to actually be doing all of the detail yourself. Well, if you do, you're dead. Yeah. So um, It's it's only 24 hours a day. That's right. The scourge of micromanagement will come onto that at some stage during the series, but micromanagement is not an option because you simply can't have your attention focused on specific things to the detriment of all else. I think um, the hard lesson for a CEO is the devolution of uh, responsibility. You've got to trust your people. You've got to build up, and we'll talk about this, you've got to build up a team of people around you that actually run the company. You might have the final say on what's done, but... Uh, the Harvard Business Review uh, article says that you have to move from a direct 
to an indirect influence. You have to articulate and communicate a clear, easily understood strategy. You have to institutionalize rigorous structures and processes to guide, inform, and reward, and setting values and tone. Now, that's quite a shift from what you were used to. How did you do it? I didn't. Right. I took the the decision in the first instance that I would lead from behind. So uh, I stood up in front of my team in my first town hall and said, hi, I'm Lev, and I'll be leading you from behind. And they all went, huh? (laughs) And uh, I said, I'm going to be here and I'm going to be helping you um, or supporting you in the roles that you do because I trust you all to do what you already do. Uh, three months later, it was a total catastrophe. And, uh, I called everybody in to the same town hall meeting room. And I said, right, reset. I'm Lev. Follow me. And they said, why didn't you say that in the first place? I think that's a, that's a really good illustration. I think of how difficult it is to know, uh, when you first land in that office what the balance is that you need to strike between um, going in there and imposing your will on the company, but also respecting that the company has been functioning prior to your arrival as well. Yeah. And I suppose this does lead us in a way to the second surprise on the list. And that is how the question of how you communicate the way that you want things to be done, the direction that you want the company to go in and the strategy that you think the company should be pursuing, how you actually communicate that to the rest of your team and the broader staff because the second surprise is that giving orders is very costly. Well, that's exactly right. So here you are, you're the CEO, you may have more power than you've ever had before, but you've also got the ability to demoralise, demotivate, uh, enhance defensiveness. You've got the ability to send your entire organisation off on the wrong track Mm. uh, by your demeanour. And the fact that you are authoritarian and, and looking to give orders. So, um, giving orders as the, as the, the surprise comes to you, giving a direct order is very costly. You need to, again, you need to go back into the organization and you need to get your team running with you mm. so that you might make suggestions and course corrections, but giving a direct order, you've had, you, you have absolutely got to prepare yourself for the fallout. So in my case, I didn't give a direct order for quite some time. And the direct order that I gave was, we're going to put solar panels on our roofs to make sure that we are more environmentally sustainable as an organization. And the response was, cannot. We can't do it. The roofs don't don't suit themselves to, to putting solar panels on. You know, the government won't support us to do this. The board won't support us to do this. Cannot. Okay. So uh, I actually I actually invoked the, the the giving order and said, "This is what we're going to do. I trust you guys and empower you to do it, and we're doing it because it's the right thing to do, and we're also doing it because it's it's something that this company needs to pivot towards." Yeah. But I did. I was prepared for and got a lot of a lot of uh, flack for having given that direct order. How long do you reckon that lasted for? Did they come around in the end? Or was it a fairly lengthy process? Thank you very much for the segue because uh, two years later I was getting an award for uh, running a company that produced uh, the second highest amount of commercial power from the sun uh, in the country. Sounds like vindication to me. Well, it was, but um, giving orders is costly. Yeah. 
but you've got to be prepared at some stage to actually say, this is what we're going to do. Well, I think it, it does. Yeah, it sounds like there's a, a time and a place for giving orders. Yes. But if you do it, you just need to be prepared that it yep. can blow up in your face. Absolutely. And in the end, it might be the right thing to do. You might have the right idea, but- it could just be a bumpy road to get there. It is, and you've got to prepare for that. Yeah. So whilst it, it doesn't say don't give orders, mm-hmm. and it, but if you walk in and think I'm the CEO and here's a direct order and you yeah. need to do this, you're going to be in for a very unpleasant time and the morale of the company is going to be detrimentally affected. If you pick your time wisely and you give your order specifically mm-hmm. and you're prepared for the fallout, yeah. then go ahead. So there is a time and a place, but- the majority of, of time you would be trying to take people with you as opposed to just imposing your will. It's a collaborative approach. Yep. Number three is an interesting one because I can understand it a little bit. It's number three on the surprises list is it's hard to know what's really going on. It's difficult because no one I imagine would want to be the person to deliver you bad news. So you're probably always going to get a fairly rosy view of, of what's going on. How do you cut through that? How do you make sure you're actually getting accurate information? Yeah, well, you you really do struggle to actually understand what's going on mm. at the base level in your organisation unless yeah. you've taken the time to build the relationships. And sometimes that in itself is a problem because you're subverting the hierarchical pyramid. I mean, you can't go and talk to to the shop floor uh, as the CEO, one, it's intimidating on the person. Uh, two, if you do get information from them, it might be coloured in a particular way. <laughs> They've and seen it as their three, opportunity right. to uh, <laughs> exactly. And three, their manager, yeah, um, their manager is going to have a problem with that, quite mm-hmm. rightly. So it's it, again, it's a balance. What you need to do is you need to have trusted sources of information, both within and outside the organisation, which you build up over time without being. Machiavellian about it. Mm-hmm. And you need, you need to know why you're being told things and you need to learn to keep asking the question. Yeah. Because the more you ask the question and it's, you know, the same with your kids. Did you do this? Really? 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 Oh no. <laughs> so I'm not suggesting for a moment that it, it, that running a company is the same dealing with your kids, but you, you learn to keep asking the same question and assessing and reviewing the answers. And ultimately you'll find that there is a nugget of the truth in, in what you're being given. Somewhere. Somewhere. Sometimes buried in a mountain. quite deep. That's right. Were there any instances that you can remember where you were kept in the dark? Oh, frequently. Mm. Frequently. And and you, you try and make yourself approachable. Yeah. But you've got to understand that your team are used to the hierarchical, a certain hierarchical structure, mm-hmm. or maybe used to a certain hierarchical structure. And as you said before, they really don't want to be the person giving the bad news because the messenger often does get shot. Uh, so they, they'd much rather have somebody else give yeah. you the bad news. What you've got to do to counter that is to be, is to be quite open and transparent yeah. and say, look, I need to know what's going on. I need to know exactly what is going on so that I can formulate a response to it. Yeah. And I need you to help me do that. I need you and your team to do what you need to do to get me the information that I need in order to help rectify the situation that we're in. Yeah. And that comes, that comes after a while. I mean, trust's earned. You've got the title, 
But if they don't, earn, if they don't trust and respect you, then you're not going to get the full picture. And if you dig in to a particular part of the business, as I said, looking for that picture, then there's a whole raft of your business mm-hmm. that that you are just going to miss. And I and I fell into that trap in a huge way in my first job. I made an assumption that an important part of the business was self-managing mm-hmm. and and didn't have any problems because I hadn't been told that they did. And I went off and um, focused on other parts of the business that were clearly that clearly had issues. Sure, the feeling that the part of the business which I thought didn't have any problems in was that I wasn't a detail guy, that I didn't care, that other parts of the business were more important, that uh, their problems were surmountable compared to the other problems. And when I finally pivoted back to them, I had to pivot back very hard because it was in complete disarray, Gosh. which I'd missed. Yeah. And I, I think, again, uh, this probably segues quite neatly into the next surprise on the list, which is that you are always sending a message. And using that as an example, if you are assuming that that part of the business is, is functioning well and therefore doesn't require as much oversight, that, in your mind, should be taken perhaps as a compliment to them, but the message that they're taking is that, you know what, he doesn't care about our part of the business, he's not focused on the detail. That must be really hard to be always on and know that you are always being watched. You are always on. Uh, I remember walking onto the floor in a particularly bad mood one morning and wondering why the entire organisation just seemed fractious for the entire day. I mean, people were arguing with each other and I was thinking, I've got an excuse for my bad mood, but everybody's in a bad mood today. And when I went and, and I actually spoke to my, to my leadership coach about it and they said, what did you expect? Yeah. You're the person they all look to. They look to you for culture. They look to you for tone. They look to you for direction and leadership. And you walk in, either you're ill-prepared you're angry at something, you're in a bad mood, that's going to affect absolutely everybody. So before you walk onto the floor, you've got to take three deep breaths and you've got to walk in and you've got to have an equanimity about you that sets you apart from what's going on in the rest of the organisation because people are looking to you for that. You've got to do the captain's walk. So in in a warship, the captain will walk through the ship and they'll say g'day to the crew and they'll wander up onto the bridge and they'll wander into the, the engine rooms. And the tone of the ship is set by that captain's walk. And again, in a corporate environment, it's exactly that. If your boss walks onto the floor looking like thunder, you know that there's, there's some bad stuff ahead and, and your entire demeanor and morale will be adversely affected. And as, as the CEO, as the leader, it's up to you. It's inherent in your approach that you need to be, you need to be above all that. It makes you realize how influential the position is and you can see the full range basically. In that, in that response, you can see the full range in, the, in that influence that it can be from the CEO sets the entire culture for the company, that that the behaviour that the CEO gets away with is then what the rest of the company could uh, could reasonably expect that they'll also get away with, all the way down to saying g'day to somebody as you pass them in the corridor. 
you don't, then it just sets yep. that sets that tone for everybody. And 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 you'd be surprised at how that magnifies. He yep. doesn't say hello to me. He doesn't like me. Yep. He doesn't like me because he doesn't like what I do. He doesn't like what I do because it's not important to the company. He's going to shut us down. He's going to make us all redundant. And that's all from just walking past and having something else on your mind. So you are always on. And, and, and the moment that you forget that, you'll step into a trap of your own making. It sounds exhausting. It is. It's an exhausting role. Uh, suddenly I'm starting to see why the typical CEO has a tenure of about five years and that also does have this flow-on effect for families, marriages. Oh, absolutely. Because that is a lot of pressure yep. to carry. Well, again, legally, in, in particularly enlisted organisations, uh, you need to be on. Yeah. So if there's an issue, somebody falls off a roof, um, you can't be the person who's on the beach and uncontactable. Unless you've, unless you've, you have a very clear hierarchy of, of calls. Yep. Um, but you need to be prepared to take the call at four o'clock on a Sunday morning that there's a fire in one of your buildings or whatever sure. the issue happens to be. And again, if you're not prepared to do that, you're in the wrong job. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're always sending a message. That's uh, surprise number four. Uh, surprises five through seven, I think we'll actually get to in the next episode of the podcast. I'm actually really looking forward to surprise number five on the list because it's one of those ones that seems a little bit counterintuitive that you might think you're the boss, but you're not actually the boss. I'll get you to explain that one in the in the next episode. Make sure you subscribe to Three Peaks Leadership so the next episode lands in your playlist. There's one released every Sunday morning. And above all, jump onto Booktopia or Amazon or Dimmix or anywhere you buy books online. Order your copy of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. There's a lot more in there than what we can cover here on the podcast. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Philip Levinson.